like, is it, is it okay to just say, wow, that was awesome, awesome singing, and uh, can I just say something really quick, as pastor of Grace Church, could we just try to do that every Sunday, all right, let's try to worship like that every Sunday, man, God is worthy of it, okay, he's worthy of it, and man, I just, uh, I really enjoyed that music time, that was excellent, and hopefully from here, it isn't downhill, okay, um, Hopefully from here it gets even better as we get into God's Word. This month we're talking about the vision. And uh, we finished up a series through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, man, it was just a really powerful series as we looked at how Nehemiah prayed and fasted and planned and rebuilt a city. And we really looked about, uh, we looked at rebuilding Grace Church and, and praying and planning. And we fasted and God has really given us a vision. And uh, man, I am thrilled. I am excited about the vision that God has given Grace Church, and uh, I'm communicating this to you today because it's time for us to do it. It's time for us to execute the vision. It's time for us to kick the tires and light the fires, all right? We're going to do this. And I've been asking, what is the vision of Grace Church? That's what we're talking about. What does God want from us? You know, what does God want from a group of people like this called the church? What's our plan to reach people? What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? I believe we all want to make a difference in the world. I think if I was to ask each and every one of us, we would say, yes, I, I want to make a difference. I want to do good things. I, wanna, I want my footprint here on planet Earth to be a good one. I, I want to I make a difference. The scripture says, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people die. And so we have to have a vision. We have to have a vision. The vision of Grace Church, we talked about this last Sunday, the vision of Grace Church is to get in, to grow up, and to go out. That's the vision of this house. We're going to get as many people as possible in. We're going to do our best to grow them up in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do all that so that we can get as many people as possible going out to make a difference for the kingdom of God, to make a difference in their own families, to make a difference in their community, and ultimately to make a difference to the ends of the world. Church is not a place where you just come and you leave feeling better about yourself. That's not what church is all about. We have been given a mission from God. We have been given a mission from God himself to go into all the world, to go into all the world and make a difference, to preach the gospel. Listen to, to William Booth. I don't know if you know who William Booth is. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. Um, he was a Methodist preacher, and he said, this is pretty cool, he said, put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Man, William Booth 
okay? That's an old English way of saying, let's get after it, all right? Let's get after it. Let's do this. So how does Grace Church plan to get after it? What is our plan to, to do this? First of all, our plan is to get people in. And that's what we're talking about today is get in. You know, God created us in his image, in his likeness. The work he did in creating us was very good. However, we chose to rebel against God. We chose to sin against God. We would be referred to as the traitor race. We are now, by nature and by choice, sinners. We, we are born sinners. We sinned against God. We're separated from God. And at the end of time, we will stand before God and he will judge us. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. We are sinful. We are unholy. We are not just. So the question is, is how can God let unholy, unjust, sinful people into his kingdom? How can he let us in? How could God declare us to be just and let us in and him still be holy, perfect, and just? You see, if someone is guilty of a crime and they stand before a judge, if that judge is a good judge, he will declare him guilty. If you're guilty but the judge declares you innocent, that's a bad judge. And some people think when they stand before God, he's going to judge the good things that you've done. And if you've done enough good things, he'll let you into his kingdom. Many see it as good people and bad people. God's going to let the good people in and the bad people have to stay out. The Bible sees it completely differently. The Bible sees two different kinds of people, perfect and imperfect. In the perfect category, okay, here's the perfect category. In the perfect category, we have Jesus Christ. In the imperfect category, we have everyone else, including you and me. That's the imperfect category. So God only lets those who are perfect into his kingdom. And so somehow, some way, we have to be in this category. And the only one that's in that category is Jesus Christ. Those of us who are in the imperfect category will not be able to stand before God and say, God, I know you're perfect. I know your kingdom is perfect. And I know the qualification to be allowed into your kingdom is perfection. So please let me in, even though I'm not perfect. It's, it's just not going to work that way. So what are you, let me ask you, what are you going to do on that day when you stand before God? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? There's really only two options. Option one is trying to get in with your good works. Okay? Many will try to impress God 
with their wonderful works. Man, they'll try to impress God with what they did while they were here on earth. And God simply won't be impressed. Listen to what Matthew says in chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. And this is Jesus talking, by the way. But Jesus says, on that day, and he's talking about the judgment day when you're standing before God. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many are going to stand before God on that day and they're going to say, God, I, I, like I went on a missions trip, man. I worked in the youth ministry, and I was at church every Sunday, and I took communion, and man, I, I like helped a lot of old ladies across the street, and I gave a bunch of turkeys. Let me in. And God's going to say, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, that is very strong language. Would you not agree? It's very strong language. And many will stand there trying to impress God with their good deeds, and it will all be in vain. Many are hoping that God grades on a curve. You know, many of us think, like, we, we compare ourselves to each other. You know, it's like, man, I'm, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. Like, God, I mean, if he lets him in, he should let me in, you know? And we compare ourselves to each other. And that's the wrong way to look at it as well. Option one is to try to get in on your own merit. Trying to do enough good works. Option two, okay, the second option is to simply say, standing before God, I trust Jesus. I'm not worthy to stand in your presence, but I trust Jesus. That's the only answer I got. God the Father, that's the only answer I got is Jesus. That's how you're justified, church. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. We believe at Grace Church that justification is by grace alone. It's a gift to us. Salvation is received, we receive that gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on anything that we do. Salvation is not dependent upon me. It's not about what I do, but what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Salvation isn't through the life that I live, but it's through the death that Jesus died. Salvation is a gift that I receive, and when I stand before God, my answer will be Jesus. That's all I got. The only way I will be allowed in is because of Jesus. Look at how it's spoken in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God 
through Christ. Okay, all, all my sins, past, present, future, went to Jesus Christ. Like, like a sponge, he soaked up all of our sins. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus died in my place. He paid the penalty for my sin. That is justification. On top of that, Jesus gives me his righteousness as a gift. So God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Christ, who never sinned, was placed on the altar to be slain. And why did God do that? Why did he do that to his son? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. He did it so that we could be made right, so that we could be justified, so that we could stand before him on the judgment day and he could see Jesus in us. I am made right with God. I can stand before God in perfection because I'm covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, When, when God looks at me on that judgment day, he's not going to see the sinfulness of Justin. He's not going to see my wretchedness and my arrogance and my stupidity. Instead, he's going to see the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how I'm going to be allowed in, is because of Jesus. My sin goes to Jesus, and the righteousness of Jesus comes to me at the cross. This is the heart of Christianity. Like, this is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of everything that we believe. I cannot do anything. I cannot stand before God on that day and say, God, I'll pay you back. You know, I'll, I'll pay you back. No, Jesus already paid the penalty. I can't stand before God and say, God, I lived a good life. No, Jesus lived a perfect life. The only righteousness that I have is because of Jesus. That's the only righteousness that I have. Christianity is all about Jesus. Salvation is all about Jesus. The only way I can get in is through Jesus. We can't stand before God and say, you know, I think I've earned the right to be here. Because then God will ask you, well, were you perfect? And your answer will be, nope. And then God will say, well, you don't deserve to be here then. The only way we're allowed in is through Jesus Christ. Listen to Galatians chapter 2 in verse 16. Galatians chapter 2 in verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one, who? No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Like, I'm pounding this this morning, church, but do, do we understand this? Do we understand that the only way in is through Jesus Christ? Do we understand this? Are we awake this morning? Do we understand that salvation is found in Jesus 
and Jesus alone. This is our vision. Okay? This is the vision of Grace Church. We want to see people saved by placing their faith in Jesus and his finished work upon the cross. And we want to see as many people as possible put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that they can spend eternity in heaven. It's by faith, but your works are important. James talks about, man, your faith without works is dead, you know? It's only by faith, but our works do matter. Our works are important. We are a church of, of next steps. We're always moving forward. We're encouraging you, church, to just continue to take the next step. So after people are saved, then what? After you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and he's declared you righteous, then what? Now you need to take the first step of obedience, and that is baptism. Baptism is an outward witness to the inward faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a declaration. Through baptism, you identify with Jesus. You publicly declare that you are a child of God. And Jesus commanded that Christians should be baptized. The apostles commanded that Christians should be baptized. And that explains why the book of Acts and the early records of, of church history show that baptisms took place all the time. There was baptisms going on all the time. People were continually being baptized. Continually being baptized. Church, let me say it again. People were continually being baptized. It should be happening. So let's answer a few questions about baptism. All right? Why are Christians always dunking people in water? All right? Why does that always happen? Why, why does that always take place? Why do we take the time to, to pay the electric bill to heat this water and fill up the water? We pay the water bill. Like, why do we go through so much trouble? Why are we always dunking people in water? And the simple answer is because Christ commanded it. We do it because Christ commanded it. He said to do it, so we do it. It's pretty simple. Okay, so what is the significance of baptism? Man, it tells the story. What's the purpose of baptism? It tells the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're standing in water, okay, and I'm holding him or her, and you put him under the water. That's a picture of his death. And you bring him up out of the water, and it's a picture of his resurrection. So we're telling the story of the gospel without even saying a word. And sometimes, depending on how ornery the person is, I'll hold them down a little bit longer. And then when the bubbles stop, I'll bring them up. So the significance of baptism is it tells the story of the gospel. The next question is, is who should get baptized? Okay, who is baptism for? Baptism is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The pattern we see in the New Testament is that someone first believes in Jesus, and then they are baptized. Every time you see someone put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they believe in Jesus, they are then baptized. It's faith in Christ, baptism. 
Faith in Christ, baptism. You never see the re- reverse. You never see, you never see the reverse order where someone, maybe such as an infant, is baptized and then later believes in Jesus. You don't see that in the Bible. I challenge you. I challenge you to show me. You don't see it where someone is baptized, a baby, an, an adult, an older person, okay, and then they believe in Jesus. It's always the opposite. They believe in Jesus and then they're baptized. That's why we don't baptize babies here at Grace Church, because we can't find it in the Bible. That's a, that's a simple reason. We're not against other religions and, you know, just trying to be obstinate and arrogant. No, we just can't find it, so we're not going to do it. Those who put their faith in Jesus should be baptized. The next question you see there is, do you have to be baptized to be saved? And the simple answer is no, you do not. We learned already in talking about salvation that salvation is a gift, okay? It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn that gift. Nothing you can do. For example, when the Philippian jailer, he asked Paul in one of Paul's letters, he asked Paul what was required of him to be saved. Paul didn't mention baptism. He simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, hey, you need to get baptized. He said, you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The other example is the thief who died on the cross next to Jesus. Remember, Jesus was on the cross. There was a thief on his left, a thief on his right. Remember, one thief was cursing him and mocking him just like everybody else was. But the other thief said, Jesus Please remember me. You know, remember me when you go into paradise. And this thief was promised by our Lord that today you will be with me in paradise. They didn't have the time to get off the cross and to go and to, you know, get baptized in the Jordan River. They were nailed to a tree. Okay? So this thief did not get baptized, but Jesus said, you're saved. You're righteous because you have placed your faith in me. That's why you're saved. He was promised by our Lord that today you will be with me in paradise, even though he had not been baptized. So here it is, church. Someone can be unbaptized and still be a Christian destined for heaven. But, Nonetheless, a Christian should be baptized. Does that make sense? Like, nod your heads if you're with me. Ah, man, thank you. That helps me so much. Because if you don't nod your heads, then I'll just preach for hours. All right? Yeah, if you interact with me more, my messages are shorter. Man, Sid's going crazy now. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, That is good stuff right there. Jesus commanded baptism. Okay? He commanded baptism because it's it's an outward sign of the inward change. It's an outward sign of the inward relationship that we have with Jesus. And it's just like married people. Okay? A married couple is married whether or not they wear their wedding ring. Okay? Even if they don't wear their wedding ring, they're still married. But I am so glad that my wife 
is proud to wear her wedding ring. Okay? It makes me happy that she's not ashamed to show people that she's married. And you know what? It's the same thing with baptism. Jesus Christ, man, is grateful and thankful that we are not ashamed to go public with our faith. We're not ashamed to say, you know what, world? I don't care what you think. I'm a child of God. And I serve him. And I follow him. Man, it's just a, it's an outward declaration. It's an outward symbol of the inward change. So baptism is a way that we show by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have died to our old way of life through the death of Jesus, and we live a new life through the resurrection of Jesus. So baptism doesn't make someone a Christian, okay? Baptism does not make someone a Christian, but Christians should be baptized. So once again, we want to see people saved. We want to see them baptized. Can you, does, this under, does this make sense? Like we're a church of next steps, okay? We want to see people saved. Man, the next step is you get baptized. You get dunked. You go public with your faith. And then the next step is, ooh, boy, this is where it gets rough. We're going to talk about church membership. Oh, man. Commitment to the church. We want to see people saved, baptized, and then we want to see them make a commitment to serve God through the local group of believers called Grace Church. Now, this is a tough section, and I'm kind of being funny about it, you know, like buckle your seatbelts. But our culture really struggles with this because most people, they don't have a problem with Jesus. They love Jesus, but they hate the church. Man, I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Many people are disenchanted with the church. Many think the church is corrupt. It's just about money. It's just the, about the pastor's ego. Many think that when you're organized or a church is organized, it loses its power. You see, the problem is a lot of people and I'm going to pick on especially the younger generations. They have a problem with commitment and authority. If I've been saved and I've committed to Jesus and I've committed to his word, then I should submit to him and I should submit to his word no matter what anyone thinks, no matter how I feel, I should submit and obey his word. So the question is, is church membership biblical? All right? This is not a popular message. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 17. This is a tough verse. <laughs> Just bracing you, preparing you. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey. Oh, man. Seriously, dude, are you using that word? Yeah. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit to them. Like, I know many of you are like, are you kidding me? For they watch in behalf of your souls as they that shall give an account, that they may do this with joy and not with grief, for this were unprofitable for you. Okay, so two questions jump out to me from this verse. And the first question is this. If there is no biblical requirement to belong to a local church, then which leaders should you as an individual 
obey and submit to. Okay? Let me, let me say that again, if that makes sense. If there's no biblical kind of uh, requirement to belong to a local church, then who should you as an individual follow, obey, and submit to? See, God uses leaders. He uses leaders, and more specifically, he uses pastors and he uses elders. And when you commit to Grace Church, just like the Bushes did this morning, you're committing to support, to protect, and to follow the leadership of Grace Church. But here's where you're protected. You're supposed to follow the leadership of Grace Church as we follow after Christ. So if I tell you to wear white shoes and drink some weird Kool-Aid, don't do it, okay? Don't do it. You follow my leadership, the leadership of Grace Church, as we follow after Christ. And hopefully everybody has their own sword in their hand, they have their own Bible, and you can kind of keep track, all right? Oh, man, I think he's good here, yep, yep, he's saying the right thing there, okay? You can protect yourself with the Word of God. And as soon as I start to lead you down a path that's corrupt or crazy, you say, you know what, that's not the path of Christ, then you're no longer required to follow. Secondly, the question that jumps out to me from this verse, and it's more kind of on a personal level, the question is, is who will I as pastor give an account for? Like right there, man, this is heavy stuff for me. It says that I'm supposed to watch in behalf of your souls as they that shall give an account. I'm going to give an account for how I pastor Grace Church. So who will I as pastor give an account for? Will I as pastor be held accountable for all the Christians in La Plata County? It doesn't seem fair. There are many churches in this area that I have strong theological and philosophical differences with. Am I going to give an account for what other churches teach, for how they spend their money, or how they serve their community? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to give an account for how I pastored Grace Church. What about the issue of church discipline? And accountability. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us a great example. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in this text, Paul confronts the church in Corinth. And let me just say, the church in Corinth was jacked up. Okay, crazy church. It was doing all kinds of wicked things. It was messed up. They were committing all kinds of sin, and they were celebrating it as God's grace. Like, we can do whatever we want because of God's grace. And Paul is saying, no, you can't. He confronts them. And one man specifically in this church, he was committing all kinds of sexual sin, and he was unwilling to change. Okay, that's the key. He was unwilling to listen, to, to heed the counsel of the elders of this church. He was unwilling to change. Basically, this man in this church was saying he could do whatever he wants because of the grace of God. And Paul confronts the church, and he tells the church in Corinth to remove this man from their church. Okay? And, he, and the purpose is for the destruction of his flesh and hopefully the salvation of his soul. So Paul, let, let me just be perfectly clear. Paul was telling the church in Corinth to kick this man out of the church. Kick him out. 
Don't allow them to, to be in your presence. Okay? And, and let me just say, it's important to remember that this man in Corinth was unwilling to change. Um, we're not going to kick out people who are struggling. Okay? Man, one of our mottos here at Grace Church is no perfect people allowed. Okay? We're not going to kick people out who are struggling. You know, but wolves, troublemakers, and cowboy fans, yeah, we're going to kick them out. Okay? <laughs> oh, man. I love that. Okay. Sometimes the most powerful way to love someone, in all seriousness, sometimes the most powerful way to love someone is with tough love. It's not easy, but this man, you know, the best thing for him would be to say, hey, dude, you can't, you can't be living this way. If he's unwilling to change, Paul said, just kick him out. Paul doesn't hold back any punches. And, and let's look at verses 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm so glad you're here, Jackson. That was, that was for you, man. Verses 11 and 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I meant, this is Paul talking, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. And once again, the context here is this, this man had been confronted time and time again and he was unwilling to change. Please hear me on that, okay? We're not just going to kick people out, okay? We're going to kick people out who are not listening to God and unwilling to change, okay? But man, if you're struggling, this is a safe place for you. But Paul says, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. This is crazy. Listen to this. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. What? That's crazy. Let's read that again. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Okay? Those who are seeking, and man, we should expect to be you know, people to be living like hell. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Okay, now I'm talking about church membership or committing to the local church. The fact is, church discipline won't work if local church membership doesn't exist. Here's the question. How can you kick someone out if there isn't an in? Does that make sense? A lot of people also have a hard time with organization within the church. I mean, one of the classic sayings, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, I hate organized religion. The funny thing is, the opposite of organized is disorganized. And the word disorganized means careless, undisciplined, or sloppy. So when you're saying you're against organized religion, basically what you're telling me is that you want to be a bum and you don't want anybody to tell you that you're a bum, okay? We don't want to be careless. We don't want to be undisciplined. And we don't want to be sloppy in how we lead people. We want to be organized in the way that we lead people. I'm going to give an account for this, and I'm taking this serious. I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, so how'd you, how'd you do in this area, you know? I, hopefully I'm not sloppy. Hopefully I'm not disorganized. 
If you look at the early church, it was very organized. Okay? They were structured in how they took care of widows. If you remember, they took care of widows, and there, there was, they were organized in the way that they did that. They had a very clear leadership structure. They had qualifications required for leadership. You couldn't be a leader. Look at First and Second Timothy. Look at the book of Titus. You couldn't be a leader unless you met these qualifications. Man, it was very specific. It was organized. Church, I'm just trying to say it boils down to the fact that God's plan for us is to belong to local churches. And that's where we find accountability. The Bible says we're supposed to provoke one another to love and good works. We're supposed to edify one another. We're supposed to build one another up. We're supposed to belong to local churches. Let me finish this morning by giving you some of the benefits of uh, being a part of a local church, and, and more specifically, the benefits of being a part of Grace Church. Okay, and if you could grab a pen, I want you to write these words down, okay, because these are really important to our church, and uh, I just think it would be great for you to remember these. But what, The first benefit of being a part of Grace Church is the word adventure, okay? Man, when you are a part of Grace Church, it's full of adventure. We get to follow God together. We get to act in faith. And many times it's going to be very uncomfortable, but it's full of adventure. The second word, if you could write this down, is transformation, okay? You get to be a part of seeing People completely changed by the power of God. I mean, that's one thing outside of the power and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's one thing that keeps me in, in ministry, that keeps me going, is seeing someone who like a year and a half ago, their life was completely a wreck, and now their life is put together. And they're still kind of a mess, but man, they're changed. You know, they're living right, they're serving God, they're doing, their motives are different. Like seeing that life transformation from brokenness to healing, it's like, dude, count me in, man. I want to see more of that. You get to be a part of seeing lives transformed. The third word, if you could write this down, is transparency. Transparency. This place right here, Grace Church, is full of real people. And you know what? It should be different than the world. Unlike the world, you get to be a part of something that's real and genuine and legit. You know what? We're not afraid to say, you know what? I'm broken. I got problems. I got struggles. Every one of us in here do. And we want this. I don't know if we're there yet, but I'm trying to lead us that direction. I want this to be a safe place where we can. I'm going to talk about this more next Sunday in the grow up section. I want this to be a place where we can deal with those inner hurts, those addictions, those, those struggles. And you know what? You're not going to be afraid to have rocks thrown at you. And you can say, I'm dealing with this. And you, instead of like, you know, spiritual gas bags trying to beat you down and throw rocks at you, you have people come around you and support you and help you and encourage you. We want to be a transparent church. The fourth thing is unity. 
You get to work with other people to accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God. You're going to see that on Saturday when we give away hopefully 300 plus turkeys. Okay? We just get to be unified and doing something together. And you know what? Since we're not too far removed from the elections, it's different than the world, man. Our, our country's divided, you know? There's half for it, half against it, always bickering, always fighting. The church should not be that way. We should come into a place where we're all going the same direction and we're unified and it's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. The fifth thing is generosity. Write down generosity. And it's spelled generosity. Okay? You'll learn how to give and not be a taker. All right? And I love Grace Church. You guys are generous. Um, we started the construction downstairs. We raised, um, we're, we're sitting right about $14,000 right now that has come in for the I Love Our Kids offering, which is awesome. Our goal, just so you know, was twenty-five grand. So if anybody wants to make up that difference, um, just make the check out to Grace Church, and uh, we will gladly receive that. But uh, we did start the work downstairs in the basement, and uh, man, great things are going to happen. We're moving some rooms. We knocked out a wall. We had to put up a big beam. Um, and the building didn't fall down. So, so far we've been successful, and uh, we plan on painting and carpeting and just trying to make um, it look more inviting. Um, but, man, thank you, Grace Church, for being so generous. Really greatly appreciate it. Number six, if you could write down the word action. Okay, We're not going to let you just sit around. We get busy serving God and we get to see results from our labor. We want to be a church of action. And lastly, I'll use the word quality. That's the last one, okay? Quality. Whatever we do for God, we're going to give it our very best. We're going to just try to do it as best as we possibly can. No more kind of, oh, man, I just had a bad word come to my mind. No more half working it, okay? Um, no more just not giving it our best. Like God deserves our best. He deserves our best. So let's give him our best. Get in. That's the vision of Grace Church for get in. We want to see people saved. We want to see people baptized and commit to Grace Church. So here's the question kind of like a big telescope, kind of zooming in right on you, okay? What about you? Some of you are thinking, come on, man, like, don't ask those pastor questions, like, leave me alone. I'm trying to encourage you to keep growing, to take that next step. As your pastor, I'm willing to confront you and say, I don't want you to just float by and just kind of get along. I want you to do things for the kingdom of God. So I'm asking you, where are you at? What's the step that you need to take? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where you need to start. You need to start right there. That's step one, is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never been baptized, okay, you've put your faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as an infant, but we just don't see that in Scripture, so we want to do it biblically, okay? So maybe you need to take that step and get baptized. If you're not committed to a local church, 
I encourage you to take that step. Take that step and say, hey, I'm committed to this church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to help it accomplish things for the kingdom of God. Let's take steps. Let's grow. And let's make a difference in the community where we're planning. Let's make a difference in the communities that God has us. I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to actually sing a song. And uh, you need to decide. I'm leaving it with you, okay? You need to decide on which, on which step you need to take. And next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about our, our second part of our vision is grow up. Uh, maybe you've been saved. Maybe you've been baptized and you've committed to this church. Well, hey, next Sunday, you need to be here because we're going to talk about growing up, growing up in our faith and uh, getting healthy physically. Some of us need to get healthy physically. Some of us need to get healthy spiritually. Some of us have some things that we really need to deal with in our lives, and we're going to talk about that next Sunday. But, man, I just encourage you to take steps. Okay, We're a next step church. Let's just take steps. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to strive. Let's be better, and, uh, and it's all for the glory of God. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you are the vine and we are the branches. Man, we, when we are connected to you, we bear much fruit, and, it, and it's fruit that lasts. I'm so thankful that this is the best life. It's the happiest life. Thank you for making a difference in my life and in my home and in my friendships and in my church. And Lord Jesus, I pray that people would know the next step that they need to take. And I pray that they would have the courage to take it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for leading by example. Man, thank you for your church. Jesus, we worship you, we serve you. It's because of your name that we are able to pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus.